0: Romans chapter 15, and last time we looked at the first part of that, verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, I, he's, Paul just has this deep desire, this compassion that he's coming to them and exhorting, begging that through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, a very unique statement there, that love of the Spirit. We looked at that, how the Holy Spirit is leading us. The Holy Spirit is guiding us. The Holy Spirit in Romans 8 is causing us to groan with these groanings that are too deep for words that we had learned to pray in the perfect will of God and, and to just to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. God is a person and as a person, like any person, we can cultivate a relationship with that person. And we can eventually cultivate a very intimate relationship with somebody until we know them very, very well. And they know us very, very well. And, and you've been married many years. You can look at your spouse and they just know what you're thinking. They know what you're feeling. Just by looking, the communication, they're almost knit soul to soul. They just have that sense of what's going on in your heart and your mind without a word being spoken because there's just that intimacy. In the same way, we have an intimacy with Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as our King. Truly, He is the high priest who ever intercedes for us. And boy, we sense His empathy and His compassion. In the same way, we have a fellowship with the Father. We sense his power, we sense his majesty, we sense his awesomeness and answered prayers. But there's that other work of God in the spirit, that comforter, that parakletos, as Paul or as John puts it, the one who comes alongside. And it's that one that is there to encourage you, to comfort you, and to help you in your weakness. And we sense that power of the spirit to for sanctification the Bible tells us to take what God did in the inside of us which made us perfect and holy and righteous before him that person of the Holy Spirit that's made us righteous with him you see now he is trying to cause us what happened on the inside to happen on the outside so that gentle voice of the Holy Spirit who lives in us as we start to get grumpy and the Holy Spirit reminds us brings to remembrance the things Jesus says don't complain about anything, but rejoice in everything. Now, he's very gentle. Jesus said, I, I'm lowly and gentle of heart. If you want to push God out of the picture, you don't have to push hard. If you want to shut God down, it's a very easy thing to do. Because God is gentle. God is meek. And that's why it's so important that we learn as we grow in the intimacy with God, the intimacy with that fellowship, that relationship, cultivate an intimacy with the Holy Spirit so we can hear that still, small voice. Remember Elijah. He knew who God was, the God of awesomeness, the God of power, and and indeed the Father is. And so I'm going to call fire out of heaven, you see. And he did, as you remember, there on Mount Carmel, he calls fire out of heaven and he says, Now get those four hundred bell prophets, and they killed him, and, and then he starts running and he beats Ahaz, he beats him to Jezreel as the water is just pouring down, as the rains begin to to, to, to come down again, and, and there he's waiting, he outbeat Ahab, he outbeat him in his chariot. And Ahab goes on into the city and the word comes out to Elijah. I'm going to kill you. And oh, he just freaks out and he flees. And he's out hiding. He says, I want to die, you know. And God feeds him, as you remember. And he sleeps. And then he gets up and he takes off running to where? Mount Sinai. The mountain of power. The mountain where God's presence was awesome. And he's hiding in a cave there in Mount Sinai. and, And the Lord comes, what? As fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. It was just a fire. And then there was a mighty rushing wind and boulders are flying and God wasn't in that mighty rushing wind. Then there was an earthquake and things began to get shaken. God wasn't in it. And then there was that still breeze. And Elijah quickly wrapped himself in his garment and just fell before the presence of God. And he began to realize, okay, I am a God who flexes my muscles I am a God of fire. I am a God of power. But, but, typically, day to day, God works supernaturally in the natural. You'll hear more from God in the gentle breeze, the moving, the stirring of the Holy Spirit than you will in fire, than you will in the earth than you will in the wind blowing with great fervency. God can do all of that. Matter of fact, we see it all happening in the Bible. We see the fire. We see the mighty rushing wind on the day of Pentecost. We see the earth shaking as Jesus dies and the tombs are open, Matthew tells us, and people are raised from the dead. We see in Acts chapter 4 when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the earth shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit in boldness. God can be in the earthquake. God can be in the mighty rushing wind. God can be in the fire. But... God is also the gentle breeze. And that's where it's important that we cultivate a love of the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We worship, we adore you. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. Spirit, we love you. We worship and adore you. It's important we come to have that love relationship and learn of that still small voice that gentle breeze that holy spirit is interesting in Thessalonians turn over there real quick and just something that was pointed out this week is it's just really interesting to me and, I, and it really ties in well tonight as I think about it here in Thessalonians chapter first Thessalonians chapter 2 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2. Look there at verse 7. Paul says, We were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Look at verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor, our toil, for laboring night and day we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. And then, Going down and look at verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Notice in verse 7 he says we're like a nursing mother. I think that represents the Holy Spirit. We're with you as a brother representing Jesus. And then we exhorted you and charged you as a father to his own children. It's interesting because, again, God has made all things in triunity. And you see the family's a trinity, the father, the mother, the children. Just as we are a trinity, body, soul, and spirit. And here we see that he says, as a father, we charged you. But yet, as the Holy Spirit, like a mother nursing her baby. So, we comforted you. And as a brother, you see, we weren't a burden to you. The servant as Jesus serves us. And so again, the Holy Spirit is the one who is gentle. The one who is there with you, who abides in you. And to develop that relationship with him. And Paul says, I beg you for the love of the Spirit. Going back over to Romans 15. Romans 15. He says there, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together. That word again, agonizomai, and there's actually a word before it tied with that word, which means strive, agonizomai, which means to fight, labor, or strive. But with the other addition to it, it means together. So fight together, labor fervently together, strive together. That word is typically used in the Greek culture for wrestlers. And here Paul is saying, let's hook up and wrestle with the Lord, wrestling with God. And again, there are times as we pray, it it is just sort of kicking back and fellowshipping with God in, in a rather conversational way, and that's fine. But I would say that a large percentage of our praying needs to be this concept of striving together wrestling together as Jacob, as you remember, as the Lord appeared to him and they locked horns, they hooked up and they wrestled, you see, all night long. And then remember, the Lord touched his hip and it blew out. And there he's hanging on to the Lord. In those days, the guy who won gave the gift. And so Jacob says, you can't leave me until I get the gift. And he says, what's your name? And my name's Jacob Hillcatcher a scoundrel, a sneaky guy full of guile. And he says, not anymore. Now your name's going to be Israel, one who has won with God, one who's been governed by God, one who's a prince with God. But it wasn't after till that laboring and the children of Israel to this day will still not eat of that thigh bone of the lamb when they have Passover to remember how Jacob wrestled with the Lord and prevailed. He won. How? By just in that time of wrestling, he finally came to say, I give up. Bless me. I can't do it. Bless me. I need you. And boy, to come to that verse in John 15 and to really make it true in your heart. Apart from him, I can do nothing. So often people say, I can do nothing. Oh, just, oh. But I can, you see. You need to hook up with the Lord until you're like Jacob, holding on, going, I can't do anything. I can't make it. I need that blessing. We see Hannah there in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and and how her husband Elkanah loved her. He had another wife, Penaniah, and Penaniah could have kids, but Hannah couldn't. and, And boy, she was grieved because she couldn't have kids. And Elkanah truly loved her and didn't disgrace her, because that was, in the culture of that day, grounds for divorce, if a woman couldn't have a child. And he gave her extra portions of steak. My kind of guy, I'll tell you. And, and when they go up to the Passover, and, and he said, man, am I not better than ten children to you? But yet year after year this went on until finally one year she just goes into the temple and she's just crying out to the Lord. She doesn't she's not making a word but she's just continuing in prayer and and she's just an in intensity and striving and and Eli this rather wicked man this carnal priest looks at her and says, "What are you doing stumbling into church drunk? Get out of here, woman." and not much of a man of discernment but he he looked, she looked and said, I'm not drunk as you think, man. I'm just intensely praying. Now I make note of that because it was in that time when she finally said, okay, God, if I have that child, it's yours. It's yours. And when she came to that place in that year after year of hardship and finally come to that place of wrestling with God, striving with God, fervently laboring there in the temple, hooking up, she was able to come to that place where she needed to be in heart, in mind, because God had a great plan for Hannah and her baby. And she finally said, it's yours. She got pregnant. It was at that time her life finally began to become fruitful after years of barrenness and there's many of you who need the answers of prayer it's no longer a desire it's no longer a want it's a necessity and god has put this upon you god has put you between the rock and the hard place because you're still jacob and he wants so much to make you israel you're still fruitless and how God wants to take your barrenness away. But it's not until those times of laboring and prayer where you finally say, okay, God, when the fruit comes, when the blessings come, it's yours. It's all yours, God. You see, that now that complete surrender, now God, you see, you are the person now God can bless. And this is where I think Paul, as he's writing the church in Rome, Realizes, man, the potential, the opportunity. You guys are at the capital of the whole world. It wasn't like the Washington D.C., the capital of a of a country. You're the capital of the whole world. Boy, what potential, what opportunity. There's not one part of the known world that isn't touched through the great Roman Empire. But as he writes to them great heavy doctrines as we've been study through Rome. He now comes to that place going, Guys, you need to be the person, not know about God, not have it in your head, not just have that experiential knowledge, but truly be that broken, surrendered person. In particular, Paul says after you've become those persons who have learned to lock up with God and to stay in there crying out to God, Working, laboring fervently in prayer, striving, wrestling together. Then he says, in particular, with me. Now, I love this because we don't have to be together in the same room to be in prayer together. Paul, as a matter of fact, writes in a disciplinary issue there in 1 Corinthians 5 when a man was caught in the church having married his father's wife and the church wasn't dealing with it. And finally, Paul says, the next time you get together and my spirit with you, excommunicate him, cast him out. But he said that he'll, in other words, as he's praying with them, as he's working with them on this disciplinary issue, he's with them there. We see in Matthew chapter 18 where it says, where two or three agree together, so touching anything on this earth, whatever's bound on earth would be bound in heaven, and whatever's loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. And how there's issues that we need to get together and begin to labor fervently, striving together as you wake up in the morning, you just have that groaning going, God, oh Lord, maybe what is it? For me, it's revival. It's revival in us. It's till that nothing, all that fills my soul is Jesus. Until we just love him and we can't love him anymore. Until we're like Enoch. We all walk with God and we're not. We're just so close to that heavenly kingdom, we just sort of step on through. And God says, well, you're here. <laughs> Might as well stay. We're just in that fellowship, in that intimacy. And through that flow of God filling us up and our cup overflowing, would cause South Bay and San Diego, and as Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, and your faith is heard throughout the world. Boy, what, what, that would be awesome. That what God has done in us, is just bubbling over and splashing, a splash that goes all the way around the world. To wake up in the morning just to groan as you're in the middle of the day doing your, all of a sudden, oh, Lord, please. God, make me the man of God that you need me to be. Lord, cause us to be like King David, people after your own heart. God, revive us today. Fill our hearts with a love and a passion and a desire and a fiber that we know that our life is but a vapor. Only one life soon will be passed. Only that which is done for Christ will last. Oh, how we know that. Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And now that that fire, that desire, that passion, that yearning, that burden would be in every single one of us. That then we're together, whether we're not maybe physically together, but throughout the week, we're crying out to God, locking up, striving together. And as we're doing that, she's right here, Mike. Here's your hand, honey. There you go. Nothing like being embarrassed. Sorry about that. Okay. So as we're just yearning and striving and just desiring, you see, that then when we get together at the prayer means, after little time, we're not starting, we're already there. And so Paul says, let's strive together with me, you see. Let's have this time together, just as we're intense, wrestling together on issues. And then he says, and end your prayers to God for me. Paul was not a bashful guy to say, pray for me. Guys, I'll tell you, it's so important that we encourage one another to remember to pray for each other. Pray for me. Paul in particular is desiring the church to pray for him because he realizes that he's spreading the gospel where it's never been preached before. And so his ministry is a important ministry that the gospel would continue to be spread. But I also think that it's important that we learn to pray for those in leadership in the church. To learn to pray for me as the pastor. Why? Because I need lots of it. (laughs) To pray for the elders, to pray for the home fellowship leaders. Prayer works. One man came into the Spurgeon's Tabernacle in England years ago, one of the greatest churches that ever existed, and they bumped into a man in overalls, and it was on a Saturday morning, and he bumped into him and he said, hey, tell me, what makes this church so great? It was a sanctuary that seated about 10,000, and he had a couple services every Sunday morning. The guy just said, come here, let me show you something. The man in overalls and a regular shirt took him downstairs, and there in the basement of that church was about 2,000 people just radically wrestling with the Lord, crying out to God on behalf that God would just pour out his spirit at that Sunday morning service. He says, that's the key. The next day, the guy came to church and discovered it was Spurgeon himself that took him down there. He had been down there praying himself. It's so important that we realize that prayer isn't a good, important part. Prayer is it. It is how the church moves forward on its knees. It really is. You can preach and fail. You can witness and fail. You can send missionaries out and fail. You can study the Bible and fail. But you can never pray and fail. If you pray, God always answers those prayers that are in his perfect will, in his perfect timing. You can never pray and fail. And I'll tell you what, if we can discover the key of having the heart of prayer, you see, preaching, there's intellectual stimulation going on. There's, There's some kind of, there is a gratification to a degree to our flesh as we listen to a sermon or as we study the Bible, or as we're out communicating, witnessing. There is a, there is a physical blessing in, in the degrees as you communicate and talk and battle back and forth. But prayer in and of itself is solely a spiritual exercise, especially as you go into the closet where nobody else is. And it's just between you and the Lord. And so again, prayer is the key. It really is, and, and, and it's obviously we do have it backwards, you know, because we'll have, you know, four service for, for Sunday morning. We have one service for Sunday night, one service for Wednesday night, but yet the prayer meetings, you see, we can hold them in a classroom. There's something wrong when that's the case. If we really understood if we really were clued in spiritually 5:30 Sunday evening the place would be packed for prayer The afterglow service it would be packed as we're just crying out to God But the, the problem is is that spiritually it's not the top on our prayer list it's not it Preaching, that's it. Studying the Bible, that's it. You see, that's it for us. It's far more important. It's far greater. It has a far greater, in our minds, a greater impact upon us, a greater working in us. And so that is the main focus. And, and that's great. I mean, it's, it's no failure whatsoever. But when will the church rocket ahead? When will revival break out? It won't necessarily be in the sermon. It will be in the prayer meeting. It won't necessarily be in the Bible study time at home. It will be in the prayer closet, if anywhere at home. When revival breaks, it will be in prayer. When did the day of Pentecost fully come? When they were in prayer in the upper room. When were they filled with boldness in Acts chapter 4? When they were one accord in prayer together, you see. Prayer is the key. And Paul is saying, I beg you, brethren, you see, as you labor fervently to hear the sermons, and God bless you, you're tired, and and it's hard, and you you fought to get here, you labored, you strove to get here to hear the message tonight. Blessings on you. God will richly bless you. He's going to strengthen you because of that. But yet that we would have that same intensity to labor fervently to pray together. To come together to seek the Lord in prayer. And he says for me, you know, I've read Billy Graham's autobiography. I've read a number of men through history that were great men. And without fell, without fell, they will always tell you it was because there was a group of people who are praying for them. And they can take no credit that when all the rewards in heaven are passed out for all the hundreds of thousands of people that have been saved under Billy Graham's ministry, it won't be him. He got all his glory on the earth. Billy Graham Ministries and everybody recognizes him and gives him glory and honor because he's such a great man of God. But yet he's gotten so much glory on this earth, is there any left over for heaven? Billy Graham will tell you, it's probably not. But who is going to get all of these rewards? It's those group of people who have been laboring for 50, 60 years, giving themselves to prayer for Billy Graham. Crying out that God would empower him and use him and give him wisdom and and open doors for the gospel to be preached. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see, I think, the greatest rewards given out are those who have given themselves to prayer. And he says, praying for me. And I I guarantee that I am no better than the prayers of people praying for me in this church. That your home fellowship is no better than you giving prayer for your home fellowship leader. That God will open the doors to evangelism. God will open the doors to counseling. God will open the door to touch the hearts of the people when God's people, you see, are together in one accord with that maturity and that understanding of prayer. Notice several verses here and turn with me where Paul talks about praying for me. And if we have time, we're going to come back and look at a few other ones on striving together in prayer. But look with me in Second Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, and whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Paul says that He almost died in Asia, pushed above measure, beyond strength, despairing of life. And he says, we have been delivered. I trust we will be delivered. Why? Because you also are helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So he knows that his, he would probably be dead right now if it wasn't for the fact that believers were praying for him. And he feels that somehow he had a spiritual sense that that was indeed the case. And he knows that some other trials were going to be falling him, but he wasn't concerned because he knew there were people striving, laboring, fervently agonizing together for him. Turn over, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, how? Through your prayer. And the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or for by death. And so here I am, the pastor of Calvary, San Diego. I don't want to be ashamed as a pastor. I don't want to be ashamed with weak, anemic, unpowerful, ununctionized sermons. I don't want to be ashamed and not having preached all I'm supposed to preach or evangelize, almost supposed to evangelize or to love and all I'm supposed to love. I, I don't want to be ashamed. I want to have done all that I'm supposed to have done. And Paul's saying here, hey, I, I don't know if I have finished my course yet. And I don't want to be ashamed. But again, how is it going to happen? Through your prayers. I believe that deliverance and the supply of the Spirit is going to come. And then Colossians. Turn over there. Philippians, the very next book, Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians 4, 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us. So what are you supposed to be doing? Earnestly continuing in prayer with vigilance and thanksgiving and on your spare time, pray also for us. That God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So Paul here is saying, please pray for us, that all that's preached needs to be preached. That I'm speaking all that I need to speak that God would open up all the doors he wants us to have open that the gospel could go forward and then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 25 1 Thessalonians 5:25 Here's one of those great memory verses for the week Brethren, pray for us. So that'll be in all the Christmas cards this year. First Thessalonians five twenty. Just pray for us. And then in Second Thessalonians chapter three. Verse one, Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse one. Five, brethren, pray for us. last thing i want to exhort you in pray for us that the word of the lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith so again he says man pray for us that what god did in thessalonica would happen again as we go to preach in the next place and then over that little book philemon Little tiny book, Philemon. so a one-chapter book. So in chapter 3... Just kidding. There's only one chapter. I said there's one chapter. Philemon chapter 1, verse 22. Philemon, verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers... I shall be granted to you. So Paul is confident that he'll make it to them if he trusts that they're really giving themselves to prayer for him. Then finally, one last verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 18 it says there pray for us we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably so Paul asked them to pray for many different things here uh, to the Corinthian church he had praying for him the Philemon church, the Colossian church, the Thessalonica Church first and second the cities of Thessalonica only kidding there's only one. And Philemon good, is good buddy, and also to the Hebrew spread abroad. He just has people everywhere praying for him. It's a great idea for all of you. Talk to somebody, one of your friends back in Pennsylvania, before you get off the phone, say, Oh, by the way, pray for me. See you later. <laughs> pray for me. Interesting, in Acts 28:31, it says, the very last verse of the book of Acts says, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. The very last verse of the book of Acts says all the things Paul was asking the churches to pray for was indeed happening. He was able to have confidence. People weren't hindering him as he'd asked that they would pray that they wouldn't be hindered. And the gospel was going out. And that's the last we hear of Paul is that All those churches praying for him caused it to happen. Now we need to have great confidence in the Lord, in prayer. Prayer is not a guessing game, prayer is a certainty. Jesus says, You fathers being evil. And of course, there's no dad here that's not a wicked person in and of themselves. We're all sinners. By our fallen, sinful nature, we're self seeking and self gratifying, and what benefits me is what really I want in my flesh. But yet, even though that's the nature of a sinful, fallen being, which God has no part of that, God is perfect in love. But yet, if you look at an earthly father, and if his son comes to him and says, Dad, could you get me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Would he give him a scorpion? I don't think so. If he asked for an egg, would he give him a snake? Ridiculous. How much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask of him? In 1 John five fourteen and 15, it says when we pray according to his will, he hears us. And we have the very thing that we ask of Him. So as our life is laid out before Him, as we're praying as Jesus taught us, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, we have the very thing we ask of Him. Now where is the key? The key is that intensity, allowing the Holy Spirit for the love of the Spirit, as God's Spirit is helping us to have the passion, the Spirit's helping us have the desire. But again, what's the Bible say? Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So as we begin to dabble in sinful things, that passion, that desire all of a sudden is gone because we're grieving the Holy Spirit with our sinfulness. If the Holy Spirit's trying to open us up to a spiritual view of things, as he talks about there in 1 Thessalonians, don't despise prophecies, he says there. Being open to the things of the Spirit. Why? Don't Don't quench the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is wanting to stir you up, to see things in a spiritual way, to be listening to the voice of God, to be receiving from God. And, And as He does that, there's going to be a passion for prayer, a desire for prayer. When you wake up in the morning, you just sort of crawl out of bed on your knees and just cry out, Oh Lord, this is the day you have made, oh God. I want to rejoice and be glad in it, Lord. Take my life. I know today I need to give my life as a living, holy sacrifice. Lord, that's the only way that I could live in a way acceptable to you today. Lord, I want to deny myself right now before I even take one step and take up that cross, Lord. Please help me with all my passions and desires to put them to death right now, Lord. Help me to crucify them. Let me, as Paul said in Galatians 6, let the world be crucified to me and I to it. Lord, just, I want right now to live for you and you only. And then to just cry out, Lord, speak to me through your word. And as you begin to eat the manna that God has for you that day, and to begin chewing on it, you see, God's spirit will give you that, that laboring fervently in spirit. And now, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, we just sort of pray without ceasing. As Psalms 1 says, we meditate on God's word day and night. As Joshua 1 says, the word doesn't depart from our mouth. So we we start living as spiritual people from the get-go. And then as we go into the shower and we're showering up, we just, hopefully you guys do that. If you don't do that, whatever you do, just put on your smelly clothes or whatever. You're crying out going, Lord, I just, today, God, I want to be a witness. Lord, I want to be a blessing, God. I want to shine as a light. I want to be the salt of the earth. Lord, just let my heart be full of fire and bring revival to the whole church. Bless San Diego. And then spend the next 15 minutes praying for me. Only kidding. (laughs) And just continue to cry out and just ask God to move and just to continue to have that heart and then begin meditating on those verses that you read. Begin chewing on them. Then continue to have them in your heart. And to continue now. Steadfastly, unmovable, in your faith, and if that passion wanes to fall in your face, and say, "God, I'm, I'm afraid," because that passion is waning, that desire, that focus, that emphasis of that my life is you, as Paul says, for me to live is Christ. That's it. That's it. For me to live today is Christ, and today. As a Christian, I am whatever you do. That's what I'm doing. And then to remember that prayer is something we wrestle in. We see the man who came to his friend at midnight and said, a guest came in from out of town and I need some bread to set before him. And the man from within says, go away. I'm already in bed and I'm asleep. But yet, not because the man is his friend, but because he persists. He finally gets up and gives him all that he wants. Therefore, I say to you, ask. And the Greek, it's continue on asking. Seek. Continue on seeking. Knock. Continue on knocking. Everyone who asks and continues to ask, who doesn't grow weary in well-doing, hangs in there. In that prayer. In that wrestling. What, what's the Bible say? Ask and keep on asking. You will receive it. You will find it. The door will be open. It's not an if. It's not a maybe. It's a definite. Jesus there in Luke 18 told a parable that men would always pray and not lose heart. He says there is a widow who needed some help from a judge who did not fear God nor respect man. But yet she went to him and said, please give me some legal aid. But the man wouldn't give her the time of day. And finally she continued to persist and the judge finally said, not because I fear God, not because I respect man, but because you're just going to plain down, all right, wear me out. I'll give you whatever you want. And Jesus said, listen, listen to what the unjust judge said. How much more Will God give to those who cry out to Him five minutes a day? No. Who cry out to Him day and night. But, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? What's God's definition of faith? The believers striving in prayer. The believers wrestling in prayer. The believers who are crying out day and night with passion unto God. That is, Is the definition of God seeing faith on the earth? Paul says to Timothy, it's God's desire that men would get together everywhere and lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Just get together and pray. Paul says, I beg you, brethren, I say tonight, I beg you, brethren. For the love of the Spirit. 5.30 prayer meeting. Afterglow, Sunday night. The women have prayer meeting throughout the week. The guys get here every Saturday morning. The men have a prayer meeting here every Saturday morning. You got guys in your fellowship you could hook up with. Before your home fellowship, Thursday night, Friday night, whenever you guys get together, Tuesday night, get together. Say, hey, fellowship starts at 7. Let's get together and go in your bedroom and kneel around your California king size bed and, and just cry out to God. I did that for years with my home fellowship, had the guys come early. Oh, what a blessed time. Lord, only you can equip us. Only you can mature us. Lord, only you can give us that insight to see all that we need to see. And Lord, we come before you now and we just lay all at your feet and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would stir us up Help us tonight, Lord. Many maybe who have lost heart, Lord, as they cried out day and night, Lord, they didn't continue on asking and seeking and knocking until finally they received. But they grew weary in and well-doing and they didn't reap in that correct season, in that time when it was your perfect timing. Lord, help none of us, Lord. We're crying out day and night. Lord, for years now we've been crying out for revival and, boy, we've tasted Various seasons, Lord, of those mercy drops where we've sensed the sprinkles, we've sensed the mist, but yet the downpour has not yet made it here. But, Lord, we're not losing heart. we thank you, Lord, for those who who have the vision to pray. And, Lord, I thank you tonight to those who you've given tonight the vision, Lord, to just beat their body into subjection, to deny themselves, and to truly give themselves to a life of prayer. Lord, help us to be a people of prayer. Help us to be men and women of God who cry out day and night, who pray without ceasing. Let us be the men of that First Timothy chapter 2 who get together everywhere, lifting up hands, just broken and humble, saying, Daddy, Daddy, we need you. Lord, help us to be people that when we get to heaven, it's clear as we see Cornelius who had a monument in heaven to his tithes and offerings and to his prayer life. Wow. Lord, let Calvary San Diego have a special monument in Calvary Chapel Square to our praying, Lord, that we were a people of prayer. Lord, what can we we say, Lord? We're weak. We don't pray as we ought, but we thank you that your Spirit is there to help us to pray as we ought to pray. And Lord, we just ask right now that You'd help the carnal things in our life that's grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit, that we're not hearing that gentle voice, that still breeze. We're not experiencing that ruach, that gentle breeze, that gentle wind, that spirit speaking, Lord. Help us tonight, Lord. Every eye close and every head bow tonight. Maybe some of you are here tonight, and it's it's clear. You sense the presence of God and a very sweetness. But yet in your own life you know there's some sin going on and and boy you're thinking, huh, come to prayer meeting, I just like to quit sending my head my my head off when I leave here. I that's really a, the big thing. God right now wants to free you. Right now just cry out. Say, God, help me. There's an area in my life and, and confess it now to Him. Lord, I, I don't want that stronghold. Lord, I want to be free to hear that gentle breeze. I want to be free, Lord. I want a clean hands and a pure heart that I might ascend to that mount of the Lord. Just right now, just, he loves you. He wants to forgive you more than you want to be forgiven. There's no probationary period. Just, he wants to clean it up right now. And so you can leave here tonight walking in maturity and freedom, walking in a life of prayer and fellowship and intimacy with him. Right now, just say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me. Maybe you're here tonight. You've never received the Lord. You've come with a friend. All you need to know is God loves you. He died on a cross for you. He rose again that you could have your sins forgiven and have the gift of eternal life. Right now, just say, Lord, forgive my sin. I am a sinner. I've lived life in my own direction and not yours. I've done things in my own self way instead of in a God-centered way. Forgive me. Come into my life now. Be the Lord of all of me. Give me strength to read your word and to seek your face and to know you more and more. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Lord, you know the great love, Lord, that I have for each and every one of these people here, that the sheep of the pasture that you've given, Lord. Take care of them, Lord. Just watch over them. Strengthen them. And give them a great love for one another. Give them a great desire for one another. That they would pray and seek your face, Lord, together. And cause all that you desire. Lord, you said, I will build my church. Lord, build your church here as you desire. In Jesus' name. Let's pray the Lord's prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done